Amen. Do you remember what it was like before you knew that most of your childhood was fake? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I just wrote a couple of things down here. Um, like, for me, at the time, it was WWF, now it's WWE, but like, at the time, when you just, you believed as a five-year-old, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it's like anymore, so I can't vouch for it, I probably wouldn't let a five-year-old watch it anymore, just throw, I don't know, maybe I would, I haven't seen it in years, but like, when I was five, I was like, I just, I thought it was real, you know, like, and then there was like this day where like, somebody pointed out to me like, he's not even hitting him, <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Or you remember being so drawn in to the storyline of the Disney princess that you just, you were that person, right? Like I, I have a five-year-old daughter and, and we have to dress up and have the things. And, and like probably one of my favorite memories is watching Baylor, who's my five-year-old, like stand on top of our counter and go, I am Moana. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> but you're not. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, where you just, she could feel it. You know, she was on the wave in the ocean battling evil. <laughs> it was just like she could feel it. Remember when you could be outside with just some sticks and stones or maybe a ball and the neighbor kids and that was enough for a full day, right? You remember those times. Remember those times. Cam and I were just talking about that yesterday, how like, you know, I think we were like our kids age and we just like go out and like our parents wouldn't see us for several hours. I'm like, I don't know what that's like. You know, like my kids are like, maybe it's my problem. Oh, you laughed too quick. You laughed too quick at that. <laughs> You're like, yes, it is. Or maybe one of my favorites from childhood is going to bed right on Christmas Eve, knowing what was waiting for me the next day. And regardless of your traditions and how you handled that, you know, there was, there was a magical moment on Christmas Eve for that next morning, right? You, know, you can hardly sleep. Right. And, and it, it was it was all of it. It was it was the whole experience. I loved Christmas Eve at church and then getting up on Christmas Day and my dad reading the Christmas story to us. And I just those magical moments. We've been talking the last few weeks about how we grow as a church spiritually, how we interact with God. And last week we dove into the fact that, and we really looked at this idea that I think C.S. Lewis put so well, that truth comes through um, reality, that, that you, you can see and measure and know, but it's our imagination that brings meaning to truth. And so you can catch that last week. I don't want to spend all of our time unpacking that. But we, we were talking about the imagination and how in Matthew 13, there's seven instances where for Jesus to help us grasp the meaning of the truth of the kingdom of God, which we know the kingdom of God to be true, but what is that like? He gives us these seven quick parables, these similes. The kingdom of God is like, and you need all seven of them to get your head wrapped around the, the treasure that is the kingdom of God. And our role in that. And so, so that, that's all 
incredibly important. And we talked about the role that imagination plays in bringing that. And so as you think about your childhood, what I want to suggest today is the starting line. Okay, stick with me. The starting line of your spiritual formation, your discipleship process, the starting line of that, I want to suggest to you today is a lot like those magical moments in your childhood. I want to suggest that even on the foundation of what Jesus would say, if you don't have faith like a child, you'll never see the kingdom of God, right? When the disciples were stopping the children from getting to him, right? What did he say? He said, no, no, no. Let them come to me. Because you need faith like a child. You don't need childish faith, right? That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for childlike faith. He's inviting you to reimagine what the kingdom of God is like for your moment, for your day, for your family, for your kids, for your friends, for your college, for your whatever that is for you, you fill in the blank. But God's inviting you into that. And, and, and I think that what that really boils down to for a lot of us is we can't even get started on that journey without a recovery Okay, and I'm picking my words carefully here because I think they're important. Without a recovery of the transcendent. Okay, that's a 50 cent word for meaning that God is beyond our understanding. It's easier to grab the handles of his, what theologians call his imminence. It's easier to grab onto the things that are close, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? Like, I, I, can, I can feel that. Like, I know what it's like to have a, a child and to be like, I would do anything for them. Like, I, I get that. Right? Like, even if you've never had children, like, you, you probably have nieces or nephews or brothers or sisters or you, you were a child. And... You just, you know what your parents would do for you. So we have some kind of a ability to grab that. But we say around here that it begins with love God. It begins with vision up. That unless there's adoration for the Father, the rest of it doesn't come. There isn't good news. I can't serve my city. Because if I'm doing that on my own power, it's not going to work. <laughs> because the heart is deceitfully. <laughs> Who can know it? <laughs> right? So, so we, can't, we can't start with what we feel, right? We have to recover. And I think the invitation here today in 1 Peter 2 is going to be to reimagine the kingdom of God. To re-enchant a few things about how we see the world through the eyes of Jesus. We need to be re-enchanted with our spirituality. We need to recover the magical 
Not magic as in like, I'm not up here preaching sorcery to you. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> Let me just throw that disclaimer out there. I will not have any magic tricks behind the guitar. All right? Although some of those are funny. I, I do like some of that. But we need to recover that transcendence. I, when I was thinking about this and how to communicate it well, I just immediately drawn back to <laughs> C.S. Lewis and the, more specifically the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, and some of the ways that he's able to, in fiction, bring some of these things to, to light for us. And I was thinking about the one particular instance where Peter and Susan, if you don't know these books, you need to order them. I would even be fine with you getting your phone out right now and ordering them during church on Amazon <laughs> because they're so good. But Peter and Susan are, are, are being made aware of who Aslan is. The lion, right? The representation of God. And it's Mr. Beaver telling them, right? And he says, Aslan is a lion. The lion. A great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that. Because what what that communicates for us in our imagination, you can transport yourself to be a child listening to a beaver who says, uh, safe. You know, nowhere in your Bible does it talk about safety. In its description of God. It does, however, say that he's good. Right? Powerful. There's another line in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. goes like this. It says, one day <laughs> you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. I love that. Right? We go through, we go through these phases, right? Where we like, we are children and we love a good fairy tale, and then we kind of get too old for them, and C.S. Lewis invites us back into that space where, you know what, it's actually important in the kingdom of God that you engage your mind, your imagination. And as we said last week, not at the expense of truth, but it brings meaning to the truth. It illuminates the truth. It's like a flashlight on the path that God's taking us. And so the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples when he was walking on earth and his close friend, holds all of that tension spiritually for us really, really well in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, he invites us to take the truth of the kingdom of God and see it in your life through your imagination. And I want to invite you to read 1 Peter 2 differently than maybe you've read it in the past. And just notice the ways that Peter is asking you to go there with him. Right? Where where he's asking you to make some connections to what he's saying. Because you obviously can't physically do some of the things he's asking you to do. And yet that is the very invitation that he gives to us. So I want to I want to read this 
with you. Just the first 12 verses, and uh, they'll be on the screen for you. But here's what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. You, you, know my, you know my love for these words in Scripture, right? All. Right? Like one of the first things in marriage advice that I give anybody is don't use words like all and every and you always. And then I forget that and I use them sometimes. And then we get to like throw penalty flags at each other. Right? Like you used one. Right? Then you come to the Bible and it's inspired by God. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. Right? And so, but think about the impossibility of what's being said here. Rid yourself of all malice. Every time you drive, every time your kids disobey, every time your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend annoys you, like every time you're out and all. Just run that through your life filter. How's that going? Never get angry ever again. <laughs> Woo. It gets, it gets better. And all deceit, all hypocrisy. Oh, we're all out now. I know some of you aren't very angry people. <laughs> we're all hypocrites. Aren't we? Can we make that confession? Can we be honest with each other? That there's, there's this version of me that I want to be, <laughs> and there's this version of me that I presently am. Now, praise God, there's this version that I used to be, too. Amen? All of it, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander of every kind. I love that. It's, it's so intense you can't do it on your own. You, you cannot do that without a dynamic relationship, abide in the vine and he and you relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like you can't do it. It's, there's a reason he says all. <laughs> Just to be sure that we know that this isn't something we're going we're gonna to manufacture on our own. Right? This is where he's going to invite us to re-enchant what we view as our spirituality. Because you might have shown up here today tempted to think, okay, I need the six ways, pastor, that I can get rid of all of those things. But those six things aren't here. No, no, no. He says, get rid of all that stuff and then look at what he invites you to do in the very next verse. I love this. Verse two, like newborn babies. <laughs> this seems like high level things. Get rid of all of your anger, all of your envy, all of your slander. You know what? Just be perfect. Let's just, let's just get on that today. <laughs> just get rid of all the problems you have. <laughs> and to do that, I want to invite you to become a newborn baby who literally cannot do anything for themselves. Like, like nothing. <laughs> that... That is a very intentional move in Scripture. To, to lay before you an impossible task 
and then invite you to become a baby in front of that task. Here's why. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. He's re-enchanting your view of what it looks like to come to Jesus. Have you ever had a true craving for something? Even if it was bad, it'll give you a it'll give you a taste, a vision of what craving something is like, where you where you can't live without it. If if I don't get that, I'm I'm gonna die. That's what a craving is at that level. Sometimes we call it addiction. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. He's inviting you to reassess and re-enchant what you have always thought about your relationship with God. And I would just say to you, it's far less transactional and it's far more relational. And maybe the best part of the whole thing is in verse 3. So as you crave that, as you return to baby status, craving pure spiritual milk, growing in your salvation, verse 3, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Re-enchanting the way that you think about your relationship with God. It's, it's closer to going to bed as a five-year-old on Christmas Eve than it is checking off the things on your to-do list. Super important. Because getting yelled at doesn't bring you closer to that place that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Right? When, it, when, when your newborn baby starts to cry, you're not like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Get some food. <laughs> like That doesn't even make sense, right? That's not what we do. In our house, I would say, well, I have nothing to offer the child, so honey, <laughs> you're going to have to go <laughs> help the child. I don't have the goods. Baby didn't want me anyway. <laughs> right? Like, you, you, there's a different picture being offered. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4. And then this is, this is so important. So if, if those things are true, if the goal is higher than we can get, and we're being invited to return like a baby to Jesus, then this next statement is really true. As you come to him. This is not a one and done. This is not I've made a decision and everything is better. This is a dynamic, moving relationship. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, precious to God the Father is Jesus. You also, okay, again, inviting your imagination to bring into play what God is calling us to as we return to this more natural form of spirituality and relationship with Jesus. Okay? 
Jesus is this living stone that's rejected by the world he came to save. And then it says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All right? You didn't wear a robe today. You didn't show up and start waving incense around, right? You're not, you're not a priest. However, you are, right? This is a critical doctrine that, that you, you and I, you don't need me to get you to the Father. No, no, no. You can go immediately into his throne room of grace for mercy and help in your time of need. It's called prayer. That, that it's, it's the doctrine that the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood of all believers, critically important that you know that this is critically important. We're told to do this gathering of God's people. But on Tuesday, when you don't have the gathering of God's people, you can go straight into the throne room of grace for mercy and help in the time of need, Hebrews says. Look at this. So you're this, you're being built, we are being built into this spiritual house to be a priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, he's inviting you to use your imagination to bring this truth to life because you didn't bring a goat with you. Right? That would be super wild though if you did someday. We'd let you in. But you didn't, like, it didn't even cross your mind because of this being true. But what I want to invite you to do is bring your imagination back to the party. Because rather than just take that for granted, let's think about why I didn't bring a goat today. Because God the Father sent his one and only son to this earth. So that you could have a relationship with the living God, the living stone. And then together, we would be the visible representation of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Because you know what? You have ideas. I have ideas. We all have ideas. But we all kind of set them aside so that we can gather together to worship King Jesus. The living stone. Because he's the... He's the pure spiritual milk that we need and we get it from his word and from each other. And so we're all in. We're all in for that because it is where we have tasted that the Lord is good. Love it. For in scripture, verse 6, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. That's Jesus. And the one who trusts in him that's where you and I get to be invited in. Will never be put to, what's the word? Shame. You know what kills a lot of the imagination in the heart of God's people? Shame. But pastor, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I plan to do. And... In fact, you know, a lot of times we don't even know what we plan to do. <laughs> because there's this, I mean, can you, can you imagine with me that this is Peter writing this? Remember what Peter got famous for? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
heavens revealed that to you, Peter. Straight from the mouth of God. That's that you got you nailed that. Six verses later, get behind me, Satan. A little bit later, that rooster's crowing. He's denied Jesus three times, and he goes and hides in the upper room, and he's just has to be devastated that he that he blew it. But can you imagine what Peter felt like when Jesus stepped back into that room <laughs> alive with the scars in his hands and feet and side and they got to touch it and see and realize all of what Jesus was doing that they couldn't see. And then they watched him ascend back into heaven and the Holy Spirit fall like fire at Pentecost. This is the Peter writing this and he's, he's inviting you into that place to just trust in Him and you will never be put to shame. You know who understood shame? Peter. Peter did some awful things. <laughs> some of the worst, like he denied God. I mean, like we would rank that pretty high. The Scripture ranks that pretty high. Deny me before men and I'll deny you before my Father. Confess me before men and I'll confess you before my father. Right? It's right up there with rid yourselves of all of your problems. <laughs> Peter's reminding us that we can't. It's reminding us that we can't. But there is an option for you to trust in Jesus and never be put to shame. And that's also a vision for what our relationship is like with each other. There, there has to be a place where you can be real. The real you. The one without the mask. Because James tells us that it's confessing these things one to another that actually brings healing. God will forgive you. But the way he sets you up is to not do life alone. Why do we make such a huge deal about city groups? Which, by the way, you can still get in. Because that's where you find healing. Right? And so critically important, like like this is this is a this is a family, this is a body, it's a dynamic and living organism. Super important. So, verse seven, if all if that's true, if, if there's this reality where I will never be put to shame, look at verse seven. So to you who believe, this stone is precious. Yesterday we were taking my, my nine-year-old to his hockey game and we got three quarters of the way there and my five-year-old little girl goes, oh no, I forgot something. <laughs> it's like, what happened? <laughs> She's like, I, I had a purse with some of my stones in it. <laughs> like actual, like rocks. <laughs> like rocks from out back. But it was just, it was precious. I forgot the rocks. And it's like, you just, when you engage with what God's doing, you understand that. And she felt it so deeply. And that's what, that's what we have to re-enchant about how we see Jesus. Because listen, if you rolled in here today and that stone is not precious. 
We have some work to do in re-enchanting your view of the living God who loved you and gave himself for you. Can I just invite you to drop whatever it is that is coloring your vision, clouding your vision of who Jesus is and reimagine with me who is this king? I'm a little terrified of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And yet, I've, I want to be drawn closer to him. Who said anything about safe? To you who believe this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that stone, if you don't believe, listen to this, causes people to stumble. And it's a rock that makes them fall. Why is that? Why would Jesus be the one that makes you fall? Because Jesus is the one person who says, I am God. And if you will surrender your life to me, you'll find it. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Like, what's the difference between Jesus and every other religion and religious leader? He said he's already done everything that you need to do. I heard, I heard somebody say, I've shared this before, but, you know, in, in our culture, we don't like to be told what to do. Don't tell me what to do. But even worse than that is being told there's nothing you can do. To be put into that helpless spot where you can't fix the problem. See, that, that's the place that Jesus is kind of nudging us into. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep walking you down that path till you realize there's nothing you can do. When you're at the very bottom, you can only look up. Right? Super important. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. We're destined for that without Jesus. I love verse 9. We talk about adoration. That leads to transformation, which leads to love. Look at this. But you, all that... But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here we go. God's special possession. You want to never be put to shame? Just sit in the fact, the reality, that you are God's special possession. Don't you love the, what's happening here? This stone is precious to those who believe. And you know what? Those believers are precious to the precious stone. What an amazing thing. Why? So that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. He just keeps inviting us to reimagine what our view of God is. It's not just light, it's wonderful light. I love it. Because verse 10, once you were not even a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Redeemer City Church, once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Never to be put to shame again. Wow. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, right? What did it just say about him? He's rejected. He's not believed. He's not precious to the world. We're foreigners and exiles. So he says, get rid of all those things. And you realize you can't. So he walks you through a total reimagining of what your life in Christ is. And then he brings us back to it right at the end. Here we go. So he says, as, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. You have to see that differently. It's not just a temptation. It's war against your soul. We talk a lot about shalom here. We talk a lot about human flourishing here. Because you have to reimagine what life with Christ is like to get to a place of human flourishing. Because there's war being waged on your soul. Like all those things that happen through the week. Wages war on your soul. Those sinful desires, they're, they're not just, it's not just human nature. It's war against your soul. It's lies from Satan. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It ends in hope. It ends in hope. There's a day coming when God will make all things new to the glory of the Father. Super powerful. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> but I want to just, I want to land in a place. I just want to give you three things to think about. If you'll write them down, I'm, I'm not even going to unpack them a lot. I just, I want you to write them down and, and have them this week and think about them. All related to recovering the transcendent in your life. I want to invite you to do these three things. So, number one, recovering the transcendent. We'll put them on the screen for you so you can write them down. Recovering the transcendent invites us to re-enchant our mind. I'm sure you've heard it said that every battle is won and lost in the mind before it ever makes it to your heart and hands. Your mind is that gateway. The way up is down in the kingdom. You lose your life and you find it. You return to infancy here to begin to grow up in your salvation. Because you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is as much experience here as it is intellectual. It's one thing to know something is true. It's another thing to experience the truth. To taste it. To touch it. Right? To see it. Right? That's what we said the other week that Hebrews tells us that faith is the evidence, the substance of the things we cannot see. This is how we taste and touch and see the Lord. Truth comes alive with meaning in those places. And this makes sense because vision up precedes vision in and vision out. Right? Like loving God precedes all the good news that we want to share and how we want to serve the city and love them. 
Right? Adoration is what leads to transformation and love. So it, it, it makes sense that it would begin in this place in verse 2. That like newborn babies we would come back to him. Super important. A re-enchanting. A recovery of the transcendent. That I have to go back and, and totally reimagine and grow up into my salvation. Re-enchanting our mind. Recovering the transcendent. Number two. Recovering the transcendent invites us to re-enchant our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus. Verse 4, 7, and 9 if you want to connect it. But just listen. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Verse 7. To you who believe, this stone is precious. Verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So powerful. As we come to him. It's not one and done. It's a dynamic relationship where Jesus is at work in us. Right? What's Philippians 1, 6 say? Being confident of this. You might not be confident of anything else in your life, but here's what you can be confident of. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is at work with you. Let's reimagine what he's doing in and through us. This is actually good news. And then finally, number three, recovering the transcendent invites us to re-enchant our role in the kingdom. I think oftentimes we envision ourselves as this like hero on the stallion, right? Like I'm going to come in, I'm going I'm to get it all done. And just the reality is the longer you live life and the more like just stuff happens, you just you start to recognize or maybe for you it's that shame and that's just you just can't get over it. Peter's just inviting you, the poster child of shame is just inviting you to reimagine your role in that kingdom. Verse 11 and 12 lays it out. That this relationship with God where shame is gone and it's precious and building and growing into this spiritual house that he's the cornerstone of. We can abstain from sinful desires that wage war on our soul. But it is connected to the craving of the spiritual milk, right? You don't just stop doing something. You replace it with something else. Right? And so if I'm abstaining from those things, if I'm getting rid of all those things and the power of the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? Craving the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. So it all boils down to how you're going to start your week, how you're going to start your day, how you're going to spend your time. There's some things that are so fundamental. When a baby wakes up in the morning, what's the first thing that it wants? Milk! (laughs) When a Christian wakes up in the morning, what's the first thing that we want? Jesus. Jesus. And so for for many of us, myself included, there's a reimagining, a re-enchanting that needs to take place this week. I'm preaching at myself. 
that when I wake up every day, who gets, who gets my first five minutes? Who gets my first ten minutes? I'm not talking about hours. If you've got that, great. Use it. But even if it's just the first ten minutes, it's going to set the course for the rest of your day. Just think about it like tithing your time. Who gets the first 10% of my time, of my day? I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to God. It, 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 it's, there's so many tools out there, but, but I just I want to keep calling you back to these, these basic things because those things that become habits and practices and spiritual disciplines in our life, they're going to shape who we become. And so either the world's going to shape that or Jesus gets to shape that. And I want to invite you, Peter wants to invite you, the Holy Spirit wants to invite you to come back to this place and reimagine what it looks like to walk with him. And it begins in that simple place. So I'm going to have the band come up, and I want to take communion with you today. And if you're wondering why we do that every week, it's because I don't want you to walk out of here thinking about me. I want you to walk out of here thinking about Jesus. And the places that he promises to show up. I was sharing with our staff on Wednesday night. I was just doing some of my Bible reading. And I was in Luke chapter 24. And for whatever reason, it never really hit me. Um, It's the story after Jesus rises from the dead. That first Easter. And then he's on the road to Emmaus. And some of his followers are on the road, right? And they... They don't know that it's him. And so that's the setting. And so to help them understand who he is, here, here's how the story ends in, from verse 27 to 35. It says this, then beginning, so this is Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so the whole Old Testament, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It begins in the word, right? So they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression uh, that he was going to go farther, that he wasn't going to stay, that he was going to keep going. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was, listen to this, it was as he reclined at the table with them That he took the bread, are you tracking with me? Blessed it and broke it (laughs) and gave it to them. Listen to this. Then their eyes were open. Then their eyes were open. They're on this road. They're spending time with Jesus. He's preaching at them. He's showing them Jesus and all the scriptures. And then it was at the table where he blessed broke the bread their eyes were open their eyes were open and I love their confession well first first it says this and then they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight (laughs) I got a cool story out of it too and then he was gone (laughs) but listen to their confession in verse 32 and it's what I want to pray for us as we gather around the bread blood of Jesus, the body and blood of Jesus today. Listen to what they say. They looked at each other and said to each other, were not our hearts 
burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. If I had a prayer for you today, coming out of what we just talked about, what Peter invited us to, it's that if you don't remember anything that came out of my mouth today, that's totally fine. But that like those people on the road to Emmaus, as you're wandering around in your life, some wins, some losses, some difficulties, some great times, life, as you're walking through life and Jesus is explaining to you all the things concerning himself and we know they're there, do not our hearts burn within us. It's my prayer that when you come into this place burdened by the weight of life that you would hear good news every 